if you've ever said uh, the phrase at any point, in any way, if you've ever said, man, Satan's really attacking me this week. The devil is really hitting me this week. Have you ever said that? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we use those type of phrases. We're going to talk about that this morning, and we've been walking through this series called Ghost Stories. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about the evil spirit, the evil one, and how the Holy Spirit interacts with them. So you'll notice in your sermon notes, uh, there's a scripture at the top of your notes this morning. So if you got in here and you didn't get a sermon notes uh, when you walked in, uh, you just slip up your hand, uh, Rich will be happy to run one to you and get one to you. And uh, you'll need that this morning to walk through. Now, I'll warn you, for those that um, it, it's a little bit of a panic to you, if not every blank is filled in, uh, there are a couple scriptures that go with each of the five things we'll talk about at the end that we're not going to talk through this morning. That's for your own scripture to walk through. They're in parentheses. So let me just give you a heads up before you, you have a little hard tack on that this morning. Uh, that's for your own time. Use it for your devotions or whatever you want to use it for would be, uh, would be great this morning. So you'll notice on your sermon notes, right at the top, there's this scripture, and it's the overarching scripture for this morning's teaching. And I really think it's something that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to have embedded in your memory, just locked in verbatim this verse. Here's what it says. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You familiar with that? You've heard that? Um, it, honestly, that's all I really wanted to say this morning. So, uh, we're, but since, sh- sh- shut it, shut it. Since I have the nine pages of notes here and uh, lunch doesn't start for an hour, we might as well just continue on and, and talk through it. Um, and um, I actually want you to say that with me this morning, to embed that into your thinking, because we're just going to walk through really what does that mean and how does it play out. Would you say it out loud, like kind of like you really mean it this morning with me? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Yeah. Do you know that when the people of God will claim the promises of God, and that's what this scripture is, then you'll receive the power of God. And I want you to remember that this morning because sometimes in the Christian world, we get so far mystical and so so far spiritually in everything we say. Like, you know, I pull up to a stoplight and the stoplight turns green and I'm thinking, you know, the spirit and divineness of God, you know, and God's like, it's it's on a cycle, man. It's timed out on a cycle. That's just how it works. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can get so far over here where we deny the spiritual around us all the time entirely. And that's dangerous. And so that's what we're going to walk through. And to remember this passage, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. What is it really talk about? We've been walking through this teaching about the Holy Spirit. The first week we said the Holy Spirit is in you. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe on the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. The people said, well, how do we, how do we get the Holy Spirit in, in us after we believe? And Peter was very clear in his first sermon. He says, repent. Turn, turn around and be baptized. Stand publicly and say, I am a believer in Jesus. We do it through the sacrament of water baptism. December 6th is our next baptism. I'm really excited. We already have three people, I believe it was three, that are signed up to be baptized on December 6th. And uh, we're looking forward to anyone who is ready to stand and publicly profess their Christianity. And you can let us know on your card if that is you. Last week, uh, Anson walked us through the Holy Spirit works through you. So it's not just like God is saying, hey, I want to put this Holy Spirit in you, and then nothing happens. 
The Holy Spirit then works through you in your life, helps you resist temptation, helps you to boldly stand for him at times that you need to stand for God, helps you to live out the Christian faith. Today we're going to talk about this Holy Spirit, the Spirit that's around us all the time and active on our, on our life. Now get this, you need to know this. We're actually in a pretty vicious spiritual battle. Did you know that? We're in a battle, and in our commonplace, or in our church today, in our contemporary church, the, the metaphors for kind of battle and army have kind of drifted on. They're, they seem to be outdated now in the way we talk about church in our contemporary church. But the Bible still uses those metaphors. They're still there, and he speaks this way. And I believe that, that most of us, whether you sense it or not, uh, you need to know that, that we have this this enemy out there, and if we want to be victorious over this enemy, then we really need to know the strategies of this enemy uh, as well so that it can help in our life. So, um, I was preparing this, I really can see that there's these three secrets of Satan that he uses as his strategy, and he desperately does not want you to figure them out. And so it's like a timeshare time presentation strategy where they don't want you to know their plan um, Satan has his plans. He doesn't want you to understand them. So, I'm going to tell you them this morning in the beginning as we walk through. Number one, you're at war. If you can't see this, I sense that you feel it sometimes in life. Driving home from work, like you're bombarded with all the, you know, all the deeds of the day, and, and you say something like this, I didn't just go to work, like I just went to battle all day. Have you ever said that? Yeah, in my job every day, every day. No, I, I don't, <laughs> gratefully. Um, but there's those days when, when life stacks up and, and you're seeing people are interacting with things or, or you're, you're having a hard time with your responsibilities and you just think, man, I battled. I battled. I was at war all day. Now, be cautious because this war with your, that you see with your boss or your colleagues or your constituents here, they're not actually the people that you're in war with in your life. You're in, at war, the Bible says, with this invisible enemy who wants to literally destroy you. And so he wants you to think a certain way. He wants you to react a certain way. He wants you to get off track. The people at work, they're just like POWs in the same battle that you're facing as well. So you come home, you sit across from the dinner table for maybe an angry spouse, right? A rebellious teenager or something like that. And what do you say? You go, man, I'm like in the front lines of war here. And, and you're kind of right in that. There is a battle going on. But before you look across the table and see your spouse and your, your child as the enemy, they're not the enemy they're like POWs in the same battle and war that you're facing because Satan wants to wage a war. It would be wonderful if Satan would make it very clear, like in your video games, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. So you always know when you walk around, you know, like they wear hats and say good guy, bad guy, and you would always know, but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. We, we're battle against the enemy, this invisible enemy. Second thing we, we need to know about Satan's strategy is Satan prefers to hide. Prefers to, to hide and sneak attacks. Now, you need to know this. It's Halloween week, and I suppose you know already, but do you know demons, they're actually real, this demon talk that, that we talk about. I mean, when you go to the movies and you see these, like, exorcist type of things, that is actually real. 
but it's rare. In fact, in our country, extremely rare. Satan doesn't need it as a strategy here in our country. He's got different ways that he goes at it. Now, I'll be honest with you. Like, I secretly cheer when, like, these horror, occultish-type movies come out and they kind of bomb at the box office. Um, I I do. I kind of cheer inside on this. Um, I'm not into it. I don't get it at all. But there's a realness to it. But it's not the way Satan often works. You see, Satan prefers to work in the shadows. He prefers to work behind the scenes, setting situations up and doing different type of things from the background. Why? Because Satan knows that to come out of the shadow and risk like a face-to-face, head-to-head confrontation with a Holy Spirit-filled Christian, that he's going to lose. He's going to lose. That's what the Bible says. Satan's a lot like a a hog-nosed snake. I'm glad you asked. Um, I'll tell you. Um, Hognose snake uh, looks pretty scary. I mean, look at this. Um, I believe any snake, period, is scary, but um, this guy looks pretty frightening. But here's the thing. A hognose snake, uh, uh, though it looks frightening, has no poison, or at least not enough to hurt you. And so what they will do is, when you come around them, just like many snakes, they will hiss and puff up and, and... pitch a little bit of a fit at you to get to frighten you and to to startle you. And if that doesn't do it, now you gotta, you gotta believe me on this. You can Google it if you want. Like, not right now, okay? Um, But you gotta look this up because it's actually hysterical. What they'll do if you come up on them in their hissing and puffing, they will literally play dead. You ever heard of a snake playing dead? This snake will roll over on its back open his mouth, stick out his tongue, and play dead on the crown. Isn't that incredible? And I'm not making this up. Like, that's like a legit picture you can look up. That's not like a snake somebody shot with a shotgun. That's a real hog-nosed snake. Why? Because he can't hurt you. Can't hurt you. And he realizes that if his intimidation tactics can't work, if you realize he can't hurt me so he can't intimidate me, then they've got nothing left to do than to play dead and hopefully you'll just move on and leave them alone. Do you understand the metaphor of Satan here? He prefers to hide because he knows when he comes out, all he can do is puff up and hiss at you, but he's no power over you. Third, this, this strategy of Satan is, you need to know this, um, Satan is already defeated and Satan knows this. And if you're already defeated, what are you going to try to do? Just take down as many with you as, you as you can, I guess. And that is Satan's strategy here. You need to know uh, when you're in the face of the battle, greater is he that's in, in you than he that is in the world here. That's a significant part here. Now, you need to know you're stronger than Satan. Or, the, excuse me, that Satan is stronger than you. Actually, Satan himself is stronger than you yourself. But the power of the Holy Spirit in you, as we've been taught, means Satan is no match for you. So it's like this, this choice. And if Satan can get you to buy into the choice of just going at your life and battling him without the Holy Spirit, then he has this upper hand and maybe he can drag you along with him. But when you put the power of the Holy Spirit into your life and you function and live that way, Satan is no match for you whatsoever. 
Satan's only ever had really three weapons. You'll have to kind of write these uh, on the side in your notes. Number one, Satan can accuse you before his heavenly father. Satan can accuse you before God. That's a tactic. Have you ever used that tactic on anyone? You could accuse them before their boss or someone like that. That is a tactic that he can use. It's a weapon. In fact, often when Satan is using this tactic, guess what? He's telling the truth when he goes to God and he speaks about you. And he goes to the Heavenly Father and he says, like in the courtroom, he says, okay, uh, your honor, uh, did you just see what that person did? Did you see, did you hear what came out of their mouth? Did you see what it is that person engaged in today? And Jesus, in your defense, stands up and says, objection. And he says, hearsay or, or whatever other lawyer words come out. But he says, that was paid for by me, by my blood on the cross. That was paid for. Not guilty is what comes out. Not anymore. Not to mean that we just go keep on sinning and living however we want. Paul says in his word, you know, heaven forbid on that. But that you don't carry the guilt anymore. The accusation has no power any longer. But that's a weapon he constantly uses. Second weapon that Satan constantly uses is he'll intimidate you. Frighten you. Frustrate you. Intimidation tactics is what he tries to do. I suppose uh, maybe there's better ways to say it, but it, Satan's a lot like, uh, and his demons are a lot like a junior high boy pack. You know, like they, they run in a pack together, and they're loud, they're somewhat obnoxious, and they're naturally destructive. But if you square off with like the alpha male of a junior high boy pack, right, um, they're going to turn tail and run if you square off with the junior high boys. And that's exactly what the Bible says uh, the demons will do before you. James chapter 4, verse 7, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee from you. Don't give him more authority and power in your life than he has. He will flee. So what's the the third weapon here? It's deception. Satan will seek to deceive you. We're going to use the rest of our time to talk through this one this morning. Satan is a, a liar, no doubt. The Bible says that. But guess what? He's a pretty good liar. Pretty good at it. You ever met anyone who was really good at it? What is their normal tactic? Their normal tactic is they don't just make stuff up out of thin air, right? They don't just say, you know, things like, you know, hey, um, I just bought a Lamborghini today because, you know, it's not in your driveway, your garage, or, you know, hey, Mike, Mike Haig has hair. You know, because, I mean, you can just look right over there and, and we know. A good liar, a good liar mixes truth in with their lies. They take half-truths, and they mix it together with what they're after. And that's exactly what Satan does. He mixes half-truths together with his lies. And in fact, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way in the beginning, when he looked at Eve in this tree and said, God knows what's going to happen if you eat of that fruit. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be able to tell this thing. And God doesn't want you to be able to know that at this point. And guess what? There was truth in that. There was truth there, but he deceived her into doing what God said, please do not do. And she was hooked because of that. Lest men think they're off, the man, the Bible says, was standing right next to him, and he didn't do anything about it. Satan's deception stands, listen to this, even in the face of the blood of Jesus Christ, Satan's deception still stands. There is nothing Jesus did on the cross that can keep you from being deceived 
by Satan. His deception is still there. You'll still encounter it, and you'll still be confronted by it. But there's this power, this dwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And like Anton spoke to us about last week, the Holy Spirit is there to help you discern what is in front of you so that you can avoid and flee those type of things. Why? Greater is he who is in you than is he that is in the world. You have to own that promise. There is no deception of Satan that will stand in the light of the Holy Spirit of God promised to you to live in you. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we've got, I've gone through the Bible this week, and I've looked at all the lies that Satan likes to tell you, and I've collected what I, I'm going to call like the big five this morning. It's not an exhaustive list of every lie Satan uses in God's Word, but I think if you look at these five, and as we walk through these five, if you're able to combat these deceptions in your life, uh, you're going to cover the bulk of battles you might face. The number one deals with money. Money. You might ask money. Now, that's all, not all that spiritual, is it? Well, actually, yeah. It's very, very spiritual. In fact, the Bible uses significant amount of time from the beginning of the Word all the way through the end of God's Word talking about our dealings with money. In fact, I'd say that far more Christians have been destroyed because of material possessions than any de- demonic possession. Because Satan, you know what? He doesn't need you to be bad. He doesn't need you to run around and act like a demon. He just would like you to get really bored. Really bored. Bored with your stuff. Bored with your house. Bored with your activities. He doesn't need you to be evil. He needs you to be comfortable. And so that the money we have, and mainly we're talking about the excess money we have, sometimes it can make us spiritually sleepy And here's what Satan's half-truth is that he sneaks in. He says, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. And possessions make you happy, right? I mean, do you deserve a nicer car, a newer house, stuff, technologies? I mean, I just figured out how to play with some buttons on iPhone 6, and iPhone 7, you know, is going to roll right out. I mean, this is how it works in our life. You deserve that to make you happy. And you know what? It's kind of true, kind of true. Like, you deserve to be happy, right? As a Christian, you do deserve to be happy. Do you remember the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. You remember that list? What's the second thing? Joy. That God wants you to experience joy. He wants you to have joy in his life. If you're walking around and and you're just miserable day in and day out, even in the face of adversity, then God is saying, look, that's not what I want for you. I want joy. He never says you're going to have easy circumstance. Everything's going to come perfectly simple for you. You'll never have to really have pressure on things. You'll never be, you know, downtrodden. But he says you can have joy in the face of all of it. So it's kind of true. Satan's promise here, his half-truth that he mixes in here. But we even find with Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring your life. So it's kind of true that God intends for you to be full of joy, even with the possessions you have. But here's the difference. Satan will say that you need to be full of joy and find happiness in the collecting of possessions. You need more. You need to get more. That's not enough. The person living next to you has this. You probably need that too. And the words need and want are just blurred and mixed up in our lives. 
The Bible tells us that you're really more full of joy when you give away your possessions, when you distribute and you give. When you make your life maybe simpler or you give to those who are in need of it and need to function in life or you sell it so that you have resources to give to people. That's what God is saying. And we can sit and we can debate all we want about whether a government should be involved in that and if there should be this program here or not this program here. We can argue all we want on that. We can't argue the words of God from his word when he says, be incredibly generous. Give. When I entrust you with excess, I entrust it to you because I entrust that you're going to make wise decisions in how to care for people with what I give you. So God's full truth is this. Uh, generosity satisfies. Generosity. When we give, the solution, give generously. Give generously of your stuff, of your time, of your money, of everything that you have, everything you've been entrusted with, give generously. I think a whole bunch of you, like you're reaping the benefits of this through this, uh, this financial peace class that you're going through that's like prioritizing and speaking to you about the tithe and giving generously and, and this type of thing. And what you can do if you would get out of debt, what God would have for you to be generous with for other people. Here's the Bible's promise that you can claim over Satan's lie. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back to give and to sacrifice. Deception number two deals with sex. This is a powerful area where Satan tries to deceive us. Here's this half-truth. You deserve to be satisfied. You deserve to be satisfied. And you know what? It's kind of true. I mean, God who made us, male and female, boys and girls, birds and bees, you know, that kind of thing, God created you. And not only that, but he gave you gender. And guess what? He gave you a sex drive. Like a lot, right? And you know what? I've been looking at this and I've been asking, why did God give us such a strong sex drive? Well, as near as I can tell, one thing for sure, he, he likes babies a lot. And he told Adam and Eve, one of the first commandments, be fruitful and multiply. And so folks, um, we've been working on this and uh, we've done pretty good with this uh, in, in our culture, all the way back from this command. Um, Society's done pretty good with it, and we enjoy it, right? Henry Cloud says this, when God provides such a powerful drive to be with and to be intimate with your spouse, guess what? It's God's provision, because work and responsibility can often push us away from home, yet this drive to be with and intimate drives us back home. And I look at the plan of God, and and I say, man, that's like that's like a brilliant plan that God put together to give us a drive that would allow us in the biblical context to bond with our spouse as like this solely unique way that we can bond. And I'm thinking that's, that's why the Bible then is so clear from the very beginning that sex is designed for a, a husband and a wife in the context of a marriage for life because it binds you so powerfully to another person. So the Bible teaches this, if you're not married, sex is not for you. 
And if we, f- if we forget to start in, God, in the beginning and start looking at creation theology, how God created and why, then we miss the whole point. And if we're not careful culturally, we can lift our legs up to the current of culture and we can just flow right along with it. But God, God's word speaks differently. Now I know, oh Tom, man, that, so archaic. I, I mean, I, I mean that's, that's kind of yesteryear stuff. Our culture, it would seem that way. But if we're people of God and we start to really analyze the word of God and want to live the word of God out, we start to see the what and the why of God's leading and even his commands. And we follow those. And the struggle uh, for each of us uh, is that we can buy into Satan's half-truth here. The half-truth that tells us that God created sex. And he did. And I'm, I'm glad for it. You know, I'm excited for it. And we mix that in with the half-truth of you deserve to be satisfied. And bam, guess what? You can open up the door to sex in any context you want to. Married unmarried, engaged, in love, for fun, straight, gay, under the influence, any context, on and on and on. But here's God's full truth. If we know God's word, he says, I have a plan. I have a plan for your, your married life, for your sexual life. I have a plan for you. And he, he loves for us to have sex in the context of this marriage covenant that he created but if you continually put yourself in the temptation of sex outside of this context, most likely, eventually, you'll fail. 93% of people do. 93% have sex before marriage. That's across the board, not Christians or non-Christians. That's across the board. It's a powerful, powerful drive. So what's the solution? Really, biblically, the solution is run immediately. That's what Paul said to his protege, to Timothy. He was so strong on this one. He doesn't say resist in this passage. He turns to Timothy, this young pastor, and he says, run from sexual temptation. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. The solution here is not to resist. It's to run immediately from sexual temptation. And what's the interesting word here is the word for run or maybe flee in your translation. It's actually in the present progressive tense. So any English majors or teachers out there will know that's the I-N-G tense. That means the way it's written here is keep running, keep fleeing. It's not a one and done type of thing. Continuously do this in your life. But get this, you're not running away from sex. You're actually running to sex, the right sexual plan of God. It's this plan for you that he said, if you just wait on me, I have a marvelous plan for you. Here's the promise in, in Psalm thirty-seven, thirty-four: wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee. His intention there is to exalt you. It actually leads to this temptation number three, or this deception number three that Satan throws our way, and it deals with power. You might write the word pride in your notes. In my estimation, power and pride is the basis for every sin that's ever been committed since the beginning, all the way back to Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, and here's Satan's half-truth that he throws in. He says, you deserve to be honored. 
You deserve to be honored, right? And that, frankly, is kind of true. You, you do deserve. God made you at like the pinnacle of his creation. If you were to read the creation accounts in, in Genesis 1 and 2, you will see in both accounts that the creation of human is the height of his creation. Human beings were made to rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, right? We find in, in Psalm one thirty nine thirteen it says this, You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and they you knit me together in my mother's womb. And so God has more respect and dignity for your life than you probably even could ever have for your own life. And it's verses like this, it's why we continue the fight against abortion as well, because God honors life. From the beginning, he's honored life, even in the womb. So you deserve to be honored, but it's a a half-truth. It's a half-truth. Do you know what God's full truth is? He says, I will exalt you. I'll exalt you. I'll be the one that lifts you up. Uh, though I mean, you have this divine dignity in your creation, God never designed you to exalt yourself. He wanted to do that. It's his desire that you would humble yourself and you would let him exalt you up. And I don't know about you, but like God's exalting versus my exalting, it seems like a no-brainer that the better party is going to be on this side to go with God's exalting. And yet, me like you, I find myself with this urge and desire, and I even lie to myself sometimes, and I call it a need to be exalted, and I find a path to do it. And God says, I'll do that for you. And it's a great party when I do it. Here's a solution to you. Serve humbly. Serve humbly. It's like the exact opposite. How do you know if you're serving humbly? Here's a simple question you can ask yourself. Who is it you're serving who cannot repay you? Can't repay you, can't do anything for you. Like you're down the hall serving in in the the kids' ministry here at the church in Livewire. And you know, those kids, they can't repay you. And maybe with a smile, that's pretty cool when you see that, uh, I guess. Um, Or maybe you're working in a ministry outside the church and like you're serving and you're spending money uh, and you get like little to no repayment from that, maybe nothing, maybe even very little recognition for it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. That's when God will exalt you in in your humble service. Here's the promise that comes from James chapter 4. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and what's going to happen? He will lift you up in honor. He'll honor you. The fourth deception of the devil deals with anger. And honestly, I think, guys, listen up. We deal with anger, and we struggle with anger far more than we even struggle with lust. Because Satan gets this hook in us on this thing. It goes back to daddy issues or sports issues growing up. Some coach, this is the way they did it. Or, or I never had an avenue to express my emotion or was never allowed to. On and on, these type of things happen. It goes back, really, to our nature often as who we are as men. Anger's not always evil. You know, uh, God gets angry. But here's Satan's half-truth that he tells us. You deserve justice. That's what we buy into. You deserve justice. And you know what? That's kind of true, right? I mean, it's, 
we do deserve justice, and it's, it's God in the Bible. It's God the Father who actually says he is a just God. And we find in his word, when there's injustice in the world, orphans, orphans abandoned, or widows who are ignored, wars that are waged on the innocent, and we find that God gets angry about these things, and he intercedes on these things as well. And so when, like, when you see something, and you know it's, it's injustice, and you have anger that burns in you, and you want to do something, you want to intercede and do something about it, um, that's divine. It's in your nature. It's who God is. It's how he's wired us as well to, to be that way. Here's the problem. When you turn that anger inward and say, I deserve justice. I deserve justice. We tend to use anger for non-justice-related issues. Can I just tell you one for me? I cannot stand the sliding glass door being closed, opening up, a person going through it, and it never being closed again. Drives me crazy just thinking about it. Um, I have to calm down here. Uh, so, so sometimes in my house, um, sometimes you might uh, uh, hear confrontations in my house. And I would love to tell you all the confrontations would go like this. Hey, wonderful son, daughter, just in case you didn't know, um, if you wouldn't mind kind of sliding that door. I would love to say that they all went like that, but they don't often. Um, sometimes they, there is a lash and there is a quick anger. And sometimes it's not even a conversation. It's just one word. What is it? Yeah, door. Oh, it's Door! And most things I don't think I can get verbally to my kids, but I think I can get that door if James is just down the street in the car. I could still get that door sound to them. Um, but I'm not going to lie there. It, it, when we start to change this justice thing, I mean, we can think of all kinds of things. Like, am I just not respected as a dad with the door? I, I mean, all this I do for them constantly. and I, You can see how we mix this anger into non-justice types issues. Does that mean the door should not stay wide open? No. But we've got to be really careful because we blend this deception into my own justice. I have a right for that door to be closed, right? And we blend it in. And guess what happens? We start to get in patterns of voicing our anger in things that have nothing to do with justice, nothing to do with righteous, godly anger. We yell at video game screens, you know? We yell at the person who cut us off in front of us. You know what? Nothing you yell, no finger you used is going to change anything about that person's driving. And guess what? And I will just say it. I don't care what you say. You drive just as bad. So it's just how it is. Don't groan. What's the solution? You got to forgive unconditionally. That's the solution constantly and unconditionally you forgive. You forgive. But Tom, what about, I mean, when you don't understand the situation, God's word understands it. And it calls us to forgive. Regardless of what's been done to you or regardless of what you perceive to have been done with you when somebody cuts in front of you, you know, we take that as this, ooh, this major personal front. What you perceive that's been done to you, do you have the capacity in Christ to extend the same grace that was extended to you to extend that grace to others. 
Here's the problem that, that uh, the promise, excuse me, that comes from Jesus himself. Powerful words. Do not judge others or you're going to be judged. Don't condemn others or it'll come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Do not mistake judging for correcting not the same thing in God's word. There are many times when we are called and need to correct people in their life and in their lifestyle. Judging was something different. Judging was connected with unforgiveness, condemnation. You have to realize that our, our anger, it often flows out of that condemnation of others. So God says, don't function that way. Forgive. Forgive your kids. Forgive your spouse. Let it go. Here's the important uh, key point here. Forgiveness is not just something you need to offer. It's something you need to receive. And that brings us to this fifth and final deception of Satan. It deals with guilt. Satan says to you, you deserve to be punished. To be punished. Or maybe, maybe it comes more like this. You know, his full lie says you're worthless. There's no truth in that one. And you know, you deserve to be punished. That one's kind of true. The Bible says it this way, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And it says the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. So in a way, that, that half-truth is correct, what Satan is getting at here, and he's talking. And how can God, who is like ultimately righteous and, and ultimately just, he, how does he just simply turn a blind eye to disobedience into our sin. It just biblically doesn't work out that way. It's not the way, the kind of God we serve. Here's the full truth, though, that works into it. Jesus absorbed all your sin. Satan would like to keep you living and thinking that you're functioning in a way that you just, you need to be punished. You're really all, not all that good. You really can't be cleaned up in your life. Now, we're getting to a point, and this is sneaky, in our culture, in our Christian contemporary church culture, where the word sinner has kind of snuck away entirely. And we don't say, well, I, you know, I'm a sinner. He's a sinner. She's a sinner. Um, we like to say things instead like, I'm only human. She's only human. And what we say sometimes in the deception that comes with it is, I sin, I'm going to keep on sinning. There's nothing that can really happen about it because I'm human. That's just who I am. It's how I was created. Can I just tell you that unequivocally, it's not the word of God. The word of God says, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to take away that guilt. I'm going to take away that addiction. That's what the word of God tells us. Why? Because Jesus absorbed all your sin. Absorbed it all, took it away. I don't know where you're at in this. Uh, you may be new to us at Wendover Hills, or maybe you're new to the faith. Uh, maybe you came from another church and, and, and we just preach differently. I don't know. But this could be the first time you've ever really heard what we're talking about. And I want to just quickly, in a nutshell, give you the gospel. Because of my sin, I'm separated from God. And I sense that, I know that. But this gap that's bridged. It's through Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. And when he did this, he absorbed my sin. It was the purpose. And I don't know how it works with like spiritual physics of it all, but all I know is that because of Jesus, I can approach God boldly. 
I can come and be in his presence and be in right relationship with him through my prayers, through my worship, through the Bible, but through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, the presence of the Holy Spirit, I can have relationship with God. And that relationship with God, it improves my relationship with my spouse, with my kids, you know, anyone I come in contact with. It makes me somebody different and somebody new. And if you need Christ in your life for the sake of your relationship with God and how about your relationship with others, if you need Christ in your life, I just want to invite you this morning to talk to anyone who is on stage this morning. Just come up to anyone and say, you know, that resonated with me. I want to hear more about accepting Christ. Or use your card that was on your seat, one of these little cards, and just communicate with us. Let us know you want to become a follower of Christ, and we'll connect with you. We'll talk with you. We'd love to tell you more, because the truth is, greater is he that is in you than is he who is in the world. Here's the solution to this one. Confess, honestly. Just confess. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us of all unrighteousness. He'll purify us from all unrighteousness, this translation says. So we confess. This is who I am, Lord. Take me. Just like this, I give it to you. Now, for all of us this morning, um, I would guess that, uh, I'm not sure where each of you are, but I guess that Satan usually attacks the weak point. And one of these five probably generates a weak point for you. Just circle it right now. Honest with yourself. Which one of these is weak? It's okay to circle more than one this morning. God wants to work with you on it. If you're going to be victorious, you've got to live out this verse. Greater is he that is in you than he who's in the world. And, and you, better, you better sure up where Satan's going to attack. That's the weak point. Be honest with yourself. This is like the pinnacle of what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in your life. In you and through you and around you. That's why Paul can so boldly write at the end of Romans chapter 8, right after he says that you have no condemnation if you're in Jesus Christ, he writes these bold words I want to leave you with in this three-week series. It says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will it be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Let me pray for you. Father, this morning I would recognize that your spirit that you have said, I will depart my spirit in you. You can live daily with the presence and power of my Holy Spirit. Lord, I would guess that for many of us, the reason we're not experiencing that is because we've bought into the half-truths of Satan that we walked through this morning. If there be any one of those five, that anyone in here would say, I've bought into that, I've been living with that deception in my life, and it's time to squash that. This morning, I want to encourage you. Claim his full truth. Live out the solution. Memorize the promise. And see if God doesn't work even immediately in your life to help you overcome and sure up the weakness because you are more powerful than you think because of the Holy Spirit living in your life. 
And so, Lord, we give that to you this morning. We trust, we trust the outcome. We pray in your son's name. Amen. 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 Again, if there's anything that you want to talk with us about or anything coming out of this that you have questions on, we'd love to talk more about this series. Just let us know in your communication card. Um, next week, we're going to start for the next four weeks, probably the most bold re- uh, series, teaching series on relationships that we've ever done. And there's no one in here that won't be affected by it to some degree. There's nobody you encounter in your life at work, uh, at school, wherever, that won't be affected by the, the subject matter that we talk about. And so I really want to encourage you, be here, bring somebody with you. It's, it's a great four weeks um, to hear really the truth of God's word as it, as it comes to relationships. Um, and we'll do that next week. So I want to invite, uh, for a couple minutes, I want to invite uh, Patty Kidder, if she'd come up, and she's going to share with you a little bit about our Saturdays of service that are happening uh, in November. So thanks, Patty. Good morning. November is just around the corner, and with that is coming our Saturdays of service. Do you still need to go